Hey, Junior here. Thanks for hitting play. You know, it's pretty trendy today to hate on the church, even so-called Christians getting in on the trend. I think that deserves a conversation. Why is corporate worship absolutely necessary to our faith? Stick with. And on the docket today, we have, I believe in the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. If you grew up in a more traditional church, you may have recited this phrase as, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, which I just want to say was likely the original way of saying this, the original way it was written. In fact, I got into an argument with my dad about this, and I'm going to share it with you because I'm right. And (laughs) nobody agrees with me, so I'm hoping I get a few people in here that agree with me. As we were getting ready for this this series, uh, we were making the beginning video that you just saw, the bumper video. I told the media guys, I said, hey, have the voiceover say, Holy Catholic Church. And they're like, are you sure, Junior? I was like, yeah, have them say, Holy Catholic Church. So the original video, that's what they did. And you know, he did a fantastic job, great video. Week into the series launches, and my dad sees the video, and my phone just starts lighting up. Who decided Catholic? We can't say Catholic. It's like, well, I decided that, Dad. What, Junior? Come on. And my reason is, well, it was the original way of saying it. See, when we think of this word Catholic, an image comes to our mind, doesn't it? Think of like saints, cathedrals, merry worship, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, old guys in robes with wafers. Like Roman Catholic comes to our mind when we see that word Catholic. But back when this creed was formed, that didn't exist. See, Catholic, small c, just means the church is the whole. The, the universal church, past and present. Followers of Jesus from every gathering making up the whole. Small c, Catholic. Eventually, though, the Roman Catholic, capital C, church came. And it kind of hijacked that word. Now we think of something totally different. We don't think of universal. We think of Roman Catholicism. So I told my dad, I said, let's, let's reclaim the word. We're going to bring it back. We're going to take on the Catholic church. Let's do this. And we argued about it, and then other people got in on it, and they took his side and said, you know, someone understands, someone will be confused, you know, why are we saying we believe in the Catholic Church, we're not Catholics, and we're going to really struggle with that, which I understand. So he wins. Start my own church. (laughs) The small C Catholic Church. (laughs) Come to a block near you. Now, whether it's small C Catholic or Christian, what this creed is saying is, I believe in the church as a whole. This isn't about my church, the bridge. I love my church, love our people, but I believe in something bigger than that. I believe in the whole church, the church in Afghanistan, the church in China, the church in Sudan, the the gospel-preaching church down the street, the the church from a 1,000 years ago, and us, all together, we make up the Christian or the small-c Catholic church. There's really only one church, God's church, and I believe in it. But you know this. Not everyone does. The church today can take quite a beating. This world has set its sights on the church. I wouldn't recommend this, but I went on Twitter just to see what people were saying about the church. And I uh, got some, got some mean, mean tweets. One person just writes, uh, I hate the church. No reason given. It's just where they're at. Probably have some bad experiences. It's sad. Another tweeted, The reason that so many people 
Hate the whole fall pumpkin spice everything phenomenon is because the church said it's evil. Now, this was news to me. Never heard this before. Not sure what church is saying that, but I can get on board with it because pumpkin spice is gross. Do we have pumpkin spice in the ca- coffee bar? Do we have that? We do. Oh. It's so good. You should try it. <laughs> Another one. There is more hate and judgment in the, in the church than in any other space, other than Twitter, of course. And then this person started a trending hashtag, actually. Tax the church retroactively into oblivion. Hashtag tax the church. There's a, there's a lot of, of hatred. And the part that I struggle with is much of that hatred comes from those who call themselves Jesus followers. Some even making money off slamming the church. Yet still, this right here is Jesus' idea. He's called his followers to do church, to be the church, to love the church, despite her imperfections, regardless of the trends to bash on her. I believe in the church. God won't give up on her. We won't either. Ephesians chapter 1 is where we find ourselves today. Ephesians chapter 1. really encourage you to grab a Bible. we got Bibles in the chairs. Otherwise, notes as well. We have uh, notes in the bulletin. But we do have our bridge app, and we have the Bible on the bridge app. And you can take notes on the bridge app, kind of nice in one spot. But really encourage you to have a Bible. We can be on the same page in Scripture. I'm going to have a lot of the verses on the screen, but not all of them. So I really encourage you to have a Bible in your hands. Let me pray. We'll jump right into this. Father, thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for what we've been discovering this series that you are Father, King of the universe, yet you've told us to call you Dad. We thank you for that special relationship. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for who he was. We thank you for what he did. We thank you for where he is right now, seated at the right hand, going to judge the living and the dead. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for him illuminating this text to us as we listen to it. We thank you for his conviction, opening our hearts, engaging our minds as we wrestle through your word. God, may we leave this place different than the way we came in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the lens of Scripture zooms in on Ephesians chapter 1, we find ourselves down a side street in Ephesus. The distant, bustling harbor never sleeps in Ephesus. But in this quiet little neighborhood, on a quiet evening, there nestled into the block sits a home. It's a typical upper-middle-class home. Stone exterior, thatched, tiled roof, an inner courtyard. And a small crowd gathers in this home. It's the largest home of anybody in this gathering in this group. And so there they sit in this home. They're eating. A few are making small talk in the corner. The courtyard entertains the heavier conversation. It's a group that's trying to navigate Whatever this is. Some call this small group. Some call it the way. Others call it community. The more intellectual ones in the group call it small C Catholic. But whatever whatever it is, it is unlike anything any of them have ever known. Because there in the living room, a Jew sits next to a Gentile and they're breaking bread. It, It feels scandalous. 
Add to that, men and women are reading together, they're studying theology together, and they're conversing about it. That seems culturally inappropriate. Yet there they are on this breeze-swept evening, enjoying the camaraderie, the food, the hospitality from the host. Yet they're still confused as to how to really define what's going on right now. And they open a letter from their old friend Paul who introduced them all to each other. And he writes them these words in chapter 1, verse 22. He writes, he, meaning Jesus, put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Now this is so, so good. It's so rich. I just want to stop here and, and unpack this a bit. Paul says, what you're doing right now, you're gathering. You call it what you want. You can call it the way. You can call it community. You can call it the bridge. The name doesn't matter so much. But know this. Jesus is the head. Not talkative Susie at the punch bowl. She's not the head. And not Fred on the couch who's one-upping everybody. It's not the host. It's not the Roman Empire. It's not even me who introduced you all to each other and got you meeting together. No, Jesus is the head over it. And then Paul uses this word right here, church. And when they read this word, it clicked for them. Ah, that's what this is. This is church. And believe it or not, it's not a new word. The Greek word for church here is the word ekklesia, which means gathering. So it's what we're doing right now, ekklesia, we're gathering. But during this time, uh, it was usually used in the context of civil gatherings. So if you were to live in Ephesus, every once in a while, a page or a servant would walk down the streets yelling, Ecclesia, Ecclesia. That meant you were to leave your home and gather with your neighbors to discuss in a forum or to vote on a representative or to hear about new laws. Paul takes this word that they've heard shouted in the streets before. So we leave our home and go gather, Ecclesia. Paul takes this word and adds this new beautiful dimension to that. See, there they are in that home together. They've been called out of the world to ecclesia, to gather together, to break bread together, to grow together with Jesus as the head of the gathering. And this word ecclesia, it's stuck. We still call it that today, church. It's the ecclesia. But it's even more than that. Paul continues on. He says, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So our ecclesia... Their ecclesia is Jesus' body. You go back into the house. They're all talking about what Jesus had done. Now, Paul told, Paul told us that Jesus ate with, with the least of these. Paul told us that Jesus washed feet. Paul said that Jesus stayed with Samaritans. And Paul says, that's you now. Jesus aimed his ministry. He ascended. You carry it on. We as a collective are to continue doing what Jesus had been doing. We are his body doing his work, pointing people to God, reaching out, sacrificing, serving, building the kingdom of God. And despite what you hear on Twitter, despite what you hear from your angry friend who's mad at the church, that is what the church has been doing historically. A secular sociologist, Rodney Stark, one of my favorite authors, writes that during the pandemic, uh, different pandemics in history, um, like the Bonnet Plague, for example, uh, healthy people would leave infected cities to save themselves from you know, the spreading sickness. So piles of bodies are piling up around the city. Healthy people are leaving the city until the sickness is gone and they come back. As people are leaving the city, people had written, it was the church people who stayed. 
The church people stayed during the pandemics. The church had the reputation for being almost recklessly bold. The Christians stayed behind and stayed with the sick. This is one of the many reasons that Christianity just exploded during the second century. That as, as healthy people are leaving the cities, the Christians stay and they nurse the sick. Just giving the sick food and water up their survival rates. So a lot of the sick people actually live because of the Christians taking care of them. Once they got better, they gave their lives to Jesus Christ, having seen Jesus through their work. The family then would return back to the city, see their loved ones still alive. They would then be interested in this Jesus Christ, and they would give their lives to Jesus Christ. So during pandemics in history, often what would happen is you'd have a city that was maybe just a couple percent Christian. It would actually be doubled that after the pandemic because of how Christians responded to those pandemics. I mean, it's, it, it's an unbelievable study. The first hospitals in, that were started were started in the church. The first orphanages were started in the church. The first nursing homes to take care of the elderly started in the church. The first food banks, food pantries started in the church. The first general education schools started, and you guessed it, the church. Now, I know she's not perfect, but when I look back at history, I'm dang proud of those who have gone before us. Because they've taken this whole idea of being Jesus' body very seriously. The church is the body of Christ carrying on his ministry. It's a very strong picture here in this text. We are the body. That's why I love the church. I know she's hated. I know she's easy to criticize. I know she's got her issues. But I love the church. It's Jesus' body. It's his body. And what a precious theology that is. What a thought to make us think twice before criticizing Jesus' body. I've heard people say, and I'm sure you've heard people say, you know, I like Jesus, just not his church. That'd be like saying, I like my wife, just not a fan of her body. Whew, I almost felt dirty saying that. <laughs> Can't say that. But how many Christians confidently prayed that around? I like Jesus, just got a problem with the church. And Jesus would say, you can't behead me. Yeah, the body might have issues, but you can't separate the head from the body. I understand, church can be difficult. I can too often be easily annoyed. And, and one of the reasons that uh, I get annoyed with the church is because this room right now, this room is filled with argumentative, self-absorbed, opinionated, annoying people like me. This church isn't perfect because I'm in it. And so people are going to say things that I don't like. People are going to say things that I disagree with. People are going to write me emails that rub me the wrong way and make me feel bad. And all of that God uses to grow me and you in community. There's something about corporate faith. We like to use the word personal a lot when it comes to Christianity. And there's a place for it. You, know, you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You need that. That's absolutely necessary. But I would say corporate is right up there too. God speaks to his church corporately. God leads his church corporately. God calls his church corporately. God grows us corporately. Jesus interacts with the body. One of my favorite authors and speakers Love following this guy on Instagram, Nathan Finocchio. Uh, he wrote this. He wrote, we are all better when we read the Bible in community. Now, I love this. Us hearing God is exponentially more powerful than me hearing God. 
Now, we don't really like that. That doesn't really sit well because we are so individualistic. But this is true. This is why the early church was all about the gathering. To be in the faith is to be in the body. There's no separation. There's no separation of that like lone wolf BS that so many people like to parade around. Well, I'm following Jesus just on my own. And Jesus would say, are you though? Because there's a crowd behind me and you're not in it. You can't just make up your own rules. That's following you. Jesus is the head, the church is the body. To reject the body, what does that say about what you're doing to the head? I love the church. It's Jesus' body. The little Ephesian ecclesia in that home, they continue reading in the chapter two now. Paul writes, so then, and I love this passage. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. I love that last bit. Citizens with the saints. It's a, it's a part of the creed, right? I believe in the communion of saints. Often when we think of saints, it's, it's kind of like when we think of the, you know, capital C Catholic church. You know, the, the images of saints, guys in robes, and they, they look sad, probably because they have like the top of their head shaved, and they're, and they're celibate, and they're chanting those chants. You know, we think of like St. Andrew or St. Clarence or one of my favorites is St. Augustine or I love St. Francis of, of Assisi. I mean, those guys are awesome. But when we think of saints, we think of like, you know, those like really old, awesome, legendary dead guys. Saint just means God's people. It means the church. So if you submitted yourself to Jesus Christ and you're following him, you're a saint. Welcome to sainthood. That was my uh, AOL screen name when I was in middle school. You remember uh, AIM? Remember that? That's the best. My screen name was Saint Z. And uh, my friend's mom, she said, she said to me, she said, that's so prideful. Do you think the church is going to recognize you as a saint one day? It's like, I don't know, it'd be pretty cool. You know, like Saint Junior. Get my own statue. I got my sad picture. Oh, saint just means God's people. So in reality, you think about it, we're communing as saints right now. How cool is that? Next time you're on your way to church and somebody says, where are you going? You say, I'm going to go commune with the saints. Actually, don't say that. It sounds really cultish. But, but it is true. Communion of saints is us together. Continues on in verse, uh, second part of 19, it says, and members of the household of God. So not only are you a saint, you are a member of the household of the Almighty, the King of the universe. So you just let that sink in for a second. An amazing privilege. That's an incredible responsibility. Paul says to this little Ephesian ecclesia meeting that evening, he says, this group that you got going on right now, not only is it an ecclesia, not only is it a gathering of saints, it is also a gathering of family. It is the family of God. It's another reason I love the church is Jesus' family. Some people carry so much bitterness and anger with the church because they've let, been let down by people. I'm sure you've seen this. We just saw it on Twitter a little bit. But, but they, get, you know, they get on social media and they go, you know, the church is mean. And they're airing the, the family dirty laundry. It's like, come on, that's what middle schoolers do when they're new to Facebook. You know, get on Facebook. My mom is such a drag. What are you doing? See, something we got to remember. I got to remember this. This is good for us to know. This is not heaven, okay? This isn't heaven. This is church. Heaven's going to be so much better than what we got going on here. Until then, we just do life together, which means we're going to annoy each other. I'm going to annoy you. I know I do. And you're going to annoy others because now you're in a family. And what does family do? They annoy you. And what do you do? You annoy your family. That's just part of being in a family. 
So think of it this way. We're all in this minivan on our way to dad's house for a big feast, okay? We're all on our way to heaven to sit down at God's table and have a family meal together. But right now we're in this minivan on the way there and we're doing church and we're doing life together, riding in this minivan until we reach dad's house. And we're gonna get on each other's nerves during the car ride, that's life. So I just wanna reduce your expectations for Christianity right now. You may say, man, my brothers and sisters in Christ, they are so annoying. They say things I don't like. They give wedgies. They repeat me. They tattle. Yeah, welcome to the family. Part of being a family. We annoy each other. I think too often we we get into scripture and we read this word right here in scripture, family, and and we read it with rose-colored glasses. We just go, oh, but they had perfect relationships. You know, no drama, no disagreements. Bunch of people wearing matching sweaters, riding tandem bicycles, singing musicals together. That's never happened in any church. Maybe a cult, but they're on drugs. Family is messy. Family is annoying. But family is family. And you don't rag on the family because they're family. You work through things and you get over some stuff. Sometimes you just got to shrug your shoulders and go, that's family. Just love. It doesn't mean you overlook sin. It doesn't mean you don't confront. It doesn't mean you don't grow. It just means you don't air the dirty laundry and just focus on the annoyances. We're a family. And dang it, family is family. I love Jesus' family. And the truth is, you need Jesus' family. Your house needs Jesus' family. There's a statistic that's been thrown out for for decades. I'm I'm sure you've heard this statistic before. Um, It's the statistic that the divorce rate among non-Christians is the same as Christians. And, uh, and it's false. There's a lot of factors that make that statistic false. Here's the truth. A married couple in a church that is committed to church family um, is far less likely to divorce. They have support. They have accountability. They have something that is bringing the couple together. Far, far, far less likely to divorce if they are part of the local church. Statistically, it's true. Being part of the local church really impacts marriages. You need Jesus' family. Here's a statistic that uh, I had a hard time believing, still kind of do. Washington Post, secular source, put out an article stating that people involved in a church live 33% longer on average. Just by being part of a church family, not just sporadic attendance, but involvement, it does something to your mental state and your mental health and your health. You need Jesus' family. Your kids need Jesus' family. Kids that grow up in the church have a far lower chance of dropping out of school and doing drugs. Kids that are raised in the church have a higher chance of getting better grades, healthier friendships, and remaining closer to their parents as they become adults. You need Jesus' family. He made this family for a reason. This minivan works. It's the household of God. Paul continues writing this church. Look at your Bibles. I don't have the, the, this verse on the screen, but verse 20 of chapter two, he says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, love that, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Then look at verse 22. This is really interesting. Here it's in him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. This is a very, very interesting verse to me. Kind of discovered some new stuff here. See, just down the street, the temple of Diana 
sit, stands as a spectacle for Ephesus. He's towering over most of the city. This temple right here was the stronghold for Diana worship, considered a sacred special place. The, the spirit of Diana dwells here. Paul says in this verse, God's temple, God's dwelling is in you. But here's what's interesting about that whole idea, at least to me. See, I grew up being taught, and it is, and it is true, but I grew up being taught that I got, I'm God's temple. My body is God's temple. It gets that from 1 Corinthians 6.19 that says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost? But what's interesting about this verse right here is the, the, word, the word you, which is Sue, is actually plural. This is plural. So Paul isn't saying you each are an individual temple. He's saying, there would be truth to that. Paul is saying there's something special about your gathering right now in that little house. A fascinating thing is taking place in your ecclesia. When the people of God gather, God dwells in that. Not the building, in the gathering of God's people. This is why in the Old Testament, uh, King David, he said he longed for the gathering of believers in the temple. It's corporate worship. Because God permeates that gathering. There was no worship without the gathering. That's why I love the church. It's Jesus' temple. Not the building, the gathering, the ecclesia. God dwells with us corporately. This is why the whole Lone Ranger Christian is just a bunch of bull. I don't need the church to follow Jesus. Yes, you do. Jesus said you do. David was right. Worship is in the gathering. You ever hear someone say, I always kind of get a little bit of a, a chuckle when, when I hear people say, you know, I don't need the church to worship. I can worship God out on the golf course. Besides, I'm out like in creation. I just feel closer to God out here. You know, I can worship God from here. He's going to say, like, okay, so you're telling me at, the, at hole three, you got your hands raised in worship going, I'll raise a hallelujah. Like, of course not. Come on. And even if you were, which would be weird, but even if you were, it's not the ecclesia. It's not the gathering. Scripture clearly lays out, no, it's in the gathering. In reality, that's indirect disobedience of Hebrews 10.25, which says, do not neglect the ecclesia. Do not neglect the gathering of believers. Now, I get the difficulty in all this. I really do. Uh, anytime Nicole and I take the girls out of town, I'm always tempted to skip church, especially when we're camping. You know, you wake up on Sunday morning. I don't want to go out and drive around and find a church. I'd rather read, and then I'd rather fish. And visiting a church, it can be the worst. Like those of you who are visitors with us today, I got to give you credit. Visiting is weird. Most churches you walk in, you don't know where to go. And some angry looking old biddy comes up and says she's going to teach your kids. And you feel bad for your kids, dropping them off with Nanny McPhee. And then you can't find your way back to the auditorium. Finally, you find, and by the way, this is why we put our best looking teachers in bridge kids. I can't teach bridge kids for that reason. But you get lost trying to find the auditorium. You know, you sit down. Finally, like, okay, I'm just sit down. can enjoy the service. And then the pastor gets up and goes, hey, greet someone around you. And you're like, oh, crap. I don't want to meet any of these people. And everyone's looking at you weird, wondering why you're there. And you're wondering the same thing. Why am I here? I get it. Skipping church is just the easiest thing to do. Last time I visited a church, somebody told me about their food pantry. No joke. They thought I was, I think they thought I was homeless. I was like, no, I'm a pastor. And then they looked at me like, I feel really bad for your church. It's like, you don't know the half of it. But my family, we power through that awkwardness. Nicole and I had a conversation a couple weeks ago when we were out of town, and we were just like, we got to go. 
we're going to go. And, and it's awkward and it's inconvenient. And I'm going to be called homeless, but we, we, we're going to go. We're going to do this. Because we want our girls to know. And your kids need to know this too if you have kids. Church is precious. Oh, yeah, it can be weird and awkward and scary with Nanny McPhee, the church lady in the basement. But the church is precious. It's the temple. It's the gathering. It's a priority. It's a command. It's not an option. And I realize that I can come across sounding really harsh right now, and I really don't mean to. I know the average church attendance is just dismal today, and maybe you're not very consistent. I am not judging you. You know, you might come once a month. You might come twice a month. I'm just glad when I get to see you. And in reality, because I skip around, I don't know if you're in church all the time or not. I, I, I really don't. But I'm just telling you that it should be a goal for believers each weekend to not ask, are we going to go to church today? But rather, when are we going to church? It's the temple. It's the gathering. We can't forsake it. Because church is not what we do. It's who we are. It's who we are. We don't go to get church cred we don't go because it's convenient. We don't go because we got nothing better to do. We do church because that is who we are. It's never a question for us. No, we're, we're gonna be in church. We're gonna be in the gathering. We're part of the ecclesia. One more. Later on in this letter, Paul finishes the letter in, in chapter five, and he says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Well, what is this mystery? I, I like mysteries. What, what, is this, what is this mystery here? The mystery is the union between Jesus and the church. See, over and over and over and over, Scripture constantly refers to the church as the bride of Christ. Paul says it's a bit mysterious, this love that Jesus has for the church. Oh, she's imperfect. She's got her flaws. She's a bit messed up. But it's this beautiful mystery of Jesus' love for his bride. It's his bride. It's who he wants to be with. It makes no sense. It's a bit mysterious. But it's another reason that I love the church is, is Jesus' bride. It's his bride. And that's a, that's a heavy weight that we should carry. The church is his bride. To slam the church is to attack the bride. That's dangerous. I mean, you can attack me. And, and I, would, I would try to just take it on the nose, and I would try to pretend that it doesn't hurt. But let me tell you, come after my wife. Okay, gloves are coming off. I will not tolerate that. That's my wife. That's my girl. I don't care who you are. That's my wife. My kids, they know they're in big trouble when they hear dad say, you just talk to my wife that way, and nobody talks to my wife that way. I go, oh, shoot. Sometimes I'll get a text from, from her at work. She's a nurse. And she'll text me, you know, a drunk patient spit on me, or you know, a drunk patient called me a bee, or a drunk patient kicked me. And when I get these texts, I mean, my anger just burns. I want nothing more than to drive to the hospital, grab those patients, drag them off their bed, and check their blood pressure from their neck because I'm her husband, and I will fight for her. And I wonder how often the anger of God burns seeing so-called Christians just rag on the church for some pathetic sympathy on social media. I've been guilty of it before. I, I could be a church critic, driving away from you know, visiting an awkward church, just kind of having fun in the car with it, just picking it apart. Eh, that's a dangerous spot to be in, though. Don't ever ridicule the bride of Christ, no matter what she may look like, because sooner or later, you're going to have to deal with the groom. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, the church is not perfect, but woe to the man who finds pleasure pointing out her imperfections. Christ loved the church. Let us do the same.
It's so popular today to say, you know, I love Jesus' church. I love Jesus just as church that I got a problem with. And I always want to comment on there, yeah, you're Captain Obvious. You are comparing perfection with imperfection. Can you just have a little bit of grace? But also, to say what you just said is to drive a wedge between the bride and the groom, to try to force a divorce. That is serious. Scripture repeats over and over and over, the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ. It is a weight that we should carry because one day the groom will ask you, how did you treat my bride? How'd you treat her? Were you part of her? Interacting with her? We're talking about Jesus' bride, and he loves her. It's mysterious. So you are the church. We are the church. We are the body, the family, the temple, the bride. That is so special. This Ephesian passage is so good, isn't it? I mean, it's so rich. I want to read it again. I just want to read it in a different version, though. Again, I just want you to imagine the scene. The sun is setting behind the Turkish hills. The lanterns of the house, they cast a dim, flickering light on the mosaic floor. The food is mostly gone. Bellies are full. Each person sitting in the circle, very different than the one sitting next to them. A lot of them got to be up early before the sunrise to be at the harbor for work or to be in the marketplace. But there they sit in the darkness. One man stands up and reads this over everybody. This, again, this is Ephesians 2. And I love this. You are no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and, and what he's building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day. A holy temple built by God, all of us built into him. A temple in which God is quite at home. That is who we are. Church isn't what we do, it's who we are. And brick by brick, he's fitting us in together. As messy as that is, he's using us. It's like those pictures you see, you know, that are made up of all those tiny little pictures. You ever see those? I know you stand close and you see like all these faces, but then when you back up, it's like a forest or, or something. It's like this giant mosaic made of, of individual pictures. That's the church. God has this incredible picture of the church and he's piecing it together with people he's rescuing. And, and we can zoom in and, and we see you and, and we see you and, and we see you and, and we see you. And we go, what? Those jacked up people are part of the church? The picture? And God says, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they have a part, they have a color, they have a flavor, and I'm using it. Hey, you say, you say she's messed up. Look who I'm working with. But I am making it beautiful. Brick by brick, I'm using my, building my temple. It's the gathering. It's people, and I love them. See, I love the church. I love church people. I know they got their problems or skeletons, their issues. Yeah, me too. We're just a band of messed up misfits. 
But my favorite people in the world are church people. The people who have been most kind to me and most compassionate with me, they've been church people. My kids will tell you the same thing. God blesses through church family, and I've experienced that over and over and over. They're a people of heart. Carrying on the ministry of Jesus or quick to sacrifice or generous givers, together making up the body of Christ, the communion of saints. I love the church. The family. Do you know how many people walk into our doors with a childlike craving for real family and they find it here? I know it's not a perfect family, but dang it, family's family. And this is Jesus' family. I love the church. There's a sacred mystery to it, a spiritual bond between God and his people. It's a felt divine love. It is God with us. I love the church. I love you. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings. Blessings.